for our acts The sea can be deep for our diving Hope comes and stops us in our tracks Bravely we prove in our striving Trudging together each day Where there's a will, there's a way Hello everyone and welcome to Trudging Together, a Trudging Together podcast. This is Raw Recovery with Dion Miller. Uh, today on our on our line, uh, we are doing a, uh, another one by phone today. Some, uh, but I'd like to introduce a, uh, a person I just recently met through a former guest, Amy, uh, who was on a few weeks ago. But I'd like to go ahead and introduce Brett. Brett, welcome to the show. Hey, Dion. Thanks for having me. We go way back about five minutes. Great yeah. introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the two things that I know about you is you went snowshoeing this morning and you are a dentist. I think those are... That's the end of the podcast. Thank you very yeah. much. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for being here. Have a day. <laughs> I hope we got something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, why, don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, wherever you'd like to go ahead and start. Sure. Okay. Well, my name is Brett. Um, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. My sobriety date is October 21st, 1998. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I guess I'll start where, uh, where, where I think we should start where my first drink. There you go. I was about, <laughs> I was about 13 years, I think I was 13 years old. Okay. And I drank, I drank a beer, I smoked a joint and I kissed a girl all within the same 10 minutes. <laughs> and I felt like, wow, this is the best feeling ever. <laughs> and I spent the rest of my drinking and using years trying to recapture that, that feeling. And so, Absolutely. you know, drink more, I would, you know, try, you know, different, different drugs, went from pot to, um, to hash, to um, mushrooms, acid, and I uh, ended up finding cocaine wow. when I was about 19 years old. And cocaine was the the drug that gave me that, that euphoric recall the best. And I instantly knew I loved it. Yes. And I also told, I tried it with some friends and I, I told them, don't let me do this again because it's going to be a problem for me. I could yep. just tell. And... Um, within a few weeks, we were buying large quantities of cocaine from uh, a, a contact we had in Chicago. Okay. I was at the University of Iowa at the time in, in college, and uh, we'd make trips back to Iowa to Chicago to buy lots of drugs. Yep. Um, and with the intention of you know selling them, so it'd make it cheaper for us, but uh, <laughs> it didn't work out so well. Uh, as you said, probably um, gone by the time you got home. Right. <laughs> yes, it didn't last very long. No, but uh, no, my, my friend and I went in, we had this, this foolproof um, method to make sure that the drugs were safe. And he had a lockbox that uh, he kept, that I kept in my room. He had the okay. combination on the lockbox. 
Okay. And uh, the, within five minutes of him leaving the room and leaving the lockbox in my room with me, I start went after that lock. Yeah. And uh, you know, started using the common different combinations, and I had it picked up pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and drugs started to become missing quickly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know how, they, I don't know where they went. That's crazy. You must yeah. have came in the room and, and took them and not remembered. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> that's how I used. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I always wanted more, and eventually. The, the cocaine um, became a problem where I would binge and okay. I would do uh, large quantities at a time, be up for nights, uh, two, three nights at a time. And it, uh, you know, and, and I remember in college at, at Iowa, I, I went to the student health um, because I had a problem and I told them. I've been doing way too much cocaine and drinking too much and I don't seem like I can stop. And I remember the doctor said to me, she's like, well, you know, it's really bad for you so you really should stop. And I'm like, well, okay, thank you very much. And then they, you know, sent me away. And uh, I tried, but I didn't want to, you know, I didn't yeah. want to stop. I wanted to, but I didn't want to. Um, but so I, I kept going. And so I, I had an engineering degree from the University of Iowa and that got me a ticket to go to dental school in Chicago. Okay. And um, and I when I went to when I started my my training for dental school, I decided I wasn't going to uh, do cocaine anymore because I'm about to become a professional. I'm going to become a doctor. Yeah. And doctors don't do cocaine, and um, and and I don't want to have a problem. So I stopped, and I, I didn't use for about three years. Okay. And it found me again, but all, all along I was drinking, and I was yeah, drinking yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. And but it was socially normal for you know the group I was in to be drinking a lot. And um, but I wasn't going to do any cocaine. Well, there you, um, there you go. You're, you're justified. You're not using cocaine. So good. Right. 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 Yeah. I didn't have a problem drinking. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's the cocaine. I had a problem yeah. with cocaine. So um, about my third year of dental school, it found me again. And um, and I went right back to where I was binging and hiding it. It was a perfect drug for me because I could hide it. There was no smell. There was yep. no, um, you know, no after effects. I had a lot of colds, quote unquote, <laughs> and uh, sinus problems. But yeah. uh, I've never really, uh, never really suffered any consequences. And okay. My girlfriend, now wife at the time, my girlfriend at the time was, you know, always wondering, why are you sick all the time? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I would, I would use, I would binge and then I would, you know, uh, not use for many weeks or months, sometimes even years. Um, and I felt like I could, 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 could control it. Um, then, uh, I did very well in dental school and I got into a, prestigious, one of the prestigious uh, residencies in the country. And um, again, I said to myself, I'm I'm not going to screw this up. I've got this great opportunity to be in a top program to Uh learn from the best dentists in the world. And and so there's no room for cocaine in this future. And so I stopped. And about nine months into the residency, it found me again. And I went right back to the binging. Um, and, uh, so, but I, I did very well in the residency so well, they asked me to stay for another year mm-hmm. as the chief resident. And I also did a cancer fellowship, uh, and, and that year. And, wow. but, um, you know, my, 
my wife, uh, we, we got married before uh, dental school ended. So my wife ended up moving to Michigan to pursue a postgraduate degree at University of Michigan. And I stayed in Chicago to pursue my uh, postgraduate degree. And we decided to split up okay. professionally and then we'd see each other on the weekends. Sure. Um, and what I looked at that as was a ticket to, to use oh, yeah. uh, without any, you know, anyone, you know, any repercussions. Yeah, you don't a lot of to... work. You didn't have to hide yeah. it. You didn't. Yeah. Right. Un- unfortunately, sometimes giving alcoholics or drug addicts the freedom to do what they want can be extremely dangerous. Yeah, and I took full advantage of that, and um, and I ended up missing a bunch of work. Uh-huh. Ended up quitting my residency because I had to get out of Chicago. Yep. I just I was going to die. Yep. Um, I was doing so much drugs, and I. Uh, moved to Michigan and I got a job as a dentist and um, and I figured since I, I was in Michigan I was going to be safe because I knew nobody that did cocaine there I knew nobody there really except my wife and her circle of friends and they all mm-hmm. drank a lot so I felt comfortable drinking sure. but I made excuses to go back to Chicago um, to you know to buy more drugs basically and so I you know drive back to Chicago call my dealer pick up large quantities because I was making a ton of money um, and so I'd buy a lot because I'd come back to Michigan and not know when I'm coming back to Chicago, so I'd want to have it around. Yeah. Um, and my problem now is if I had it in my possession, I had to do it until yep. it was gone. Mm-hmm. I couldn't moderate. I couldn't tighter it. It was, you know, however much I bought, I was going to do it and binge on it until it was gone. And so I would disappear. And it was uh, it was pretty scary. Yeah. Um, but again, suffering no consequences, I was able to get away with it. Um, I convinced my boss one day to let me bring my staff from Michigan to Chicago for a uh, dental uh, continuing education conference. And I dropped, I drove everybody in. I dropped the three ladies off at the hotel uh-huh. and I called my dealer and you know, picked up my regular and uh, um, just kind of disappeared for three or four days. Yeah. And so here I am. Now, I grew up in Chicago, so my family and friends are all there. Um, I left, uh, you know, three uh, ladies who knew nothing about Chicago, stranded with nothing, wondering where I am. No one knew where I was. Um, My dad was in my old neighborhood looking in dumpsters for me. My sister-in-law gave uh, John Doe descriptions to emergency rooms. This person with this description comes, it's my brother-in-law, please call us, blah, blah, blah. Um, And in the meantime, I'm in a hotel, you know, doing cocaine and other shit that I shouldn't be doing, you know? And um, so when I was done with my binge, which usually happens, I, I start figuring out my story of where I was, what happened. And um, so I, uh, out of nowhere, my one of my best friends calls me in this hotel. And I was like, how did you find me? He's like, well, I tracked your credit cards. You've been gone for three days. And, uh, you know, and so the police have been called. There was a missing persons report for you. Don't do anything, don't go anywhere. I'm gonna come and get you. Yeah. So he came and picked me up, brought me to his house. And he told me to go sleep it off. Oh, by the way, I got to tell your dad, I promised him that I would call him when I knew you were okay. Uh, And he's going to come here. But just go in the back and sleep it off and you'll be okay. And something came over me at that point that uh, I said, I didn't want to, I don't want to hide this anymore. I need help. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, no, shut up, but you'll be fine. Go sleep it off. We'll get through this. No big deal. Um, 
And so I'm like, no, I really need to come clean. And so I came clean. I came clean with my dad, my mom, my, my family, my friends, my wife. Um, and I, I said I needed help. This was 11 years of cocaine use, yeah. and it was was time for me to be done. I'm, I'm a dentist. I need to, you know, get my life together, and I can't do it on my own. That's correct. So I decided to call. So in the, in the healthcare professional realm, there are helplines for us, for me and my colleagues, so we oh, can cool. call for help yeah. without getting in trouble with our license. We can, you know, find a, you know, a, a way back to um, getting sober um, and still maintain our license of practice, Correct. provided we didn't break any laws or, you know, yeah. violate the Federal Practice Acts and stuff like that. And, um, and I think that, that and clean. I don't, and I don't mean to cut you off there, but, and that's something I, uh-huh. I didn't know. And, you know, that just kind of tells us why we have different people on here that, um, you know, to be able to go to a place that's non-judgmental where you're not going to be afraid to lose everything. I think that's fantastic. I just wanted to reiterate on that. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, no, it's really, it's an important point. Um, so for safety sensitive workers, doctors, nurses, dentists, pharmacists, pilots, um, you know, people that, that could do great harm under the influence. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's important that the regulating bodies, you know, make sure that we are safe to practice so the public is safe, right. you know. Um, so it's, 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 uh, it's, it's an awesome program. But I made this call to the well-being program in the state of Michigan, and um, the guy answered the phone, and I told him my name, and I said I have a drug problem and I need help, and he asked me some questions about my drug use, and... Then he said, uh, well, you know, Brett, you, uh, you sound like you're pretty bad off and you need to go to this treatment center right here that specializes in treatment of, of, of healthcare professionals uh, with drug, drug and alcohol problems. And you have to do it by Monday or I'm calling the board and turning you in. Yep. I was like, oh, uh, I'm sorry, wrong number. And I hung up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this was, you know, this was 1997. Okay. And there was not really, you know, caller ID, cell phones were just starting. Sure. Um, so I was safe, you know, he didn't really know me, but he knew me. Um, and I, I went and found help on my own. I also read a book about cocaine addiction okay. before I went to treatment because sure. I, I wanted to make sure I was going to be treated in the proper way. And, a, and, you you're, and you're an information guy. I can tell that you like yeah, your information. Yeah. So I'm a healthcare professor. I'm a dentist. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a doctor, and whatever. You know, I, I I'm used to solving problems on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember reading the book. My wife also read the book, and we were at a concert a couple days before I went to rehab, and I went and got two beers for me and two beers for her. Okay, and. She's like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, what? You can't drink beer. I'm like, yeah, I can. I don't have a drinking problem. I've got a, 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 got a cocaine problem. She's like, well, it's in the book. You can't drink. I'm like, no, it's not. I must have missed that part. Yeah. And uh, so she, I, drank, I drank my two beers and one of hers. So I drank three. She drank one. But I you know, kept it together. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> but then she, we got home and she showed me that part of the book. And I was like, oh, no. How am I going to not drink? I, I, you know, I, I have to be able to drink. I didn't. I don't have a drinking problem. This is bullshit. You know, I, I'm not. You know, so we really went in with the wrong attitude. Yeah. I went to treatment yeah. two days later. Um, 
and I went to an outpatient program that had a healthcare professional track. So um, it was uh, it was a decent program. It introduced me to AA, um, and I remember vividly my very first meeting. It was a Friday night of my first week of, of rehab, and it was a perfect first step meeting where they there were some old timers that took three or four of us that were there for our first meeting to another room and told us about AA and what mm-hmm. it's about and what we should do, what we shouldn't do. Those basically listen, try and identify with, uh, with the stories that are shared. Um, don't be afraid of the God thing. Mm-hmm. The whole time I'm rolling my eyes like, what the fuck has my life turned into? Yeah. You know, I can't believe I'm here. I'm not sticking around. In my mind, there was no way. Um, in the meantime, my, my, my wife, my brother and his wife came to the, um, came to the meeting with me okay. and they went to Al-Anon upstairs. Uh-oh. And um, so, I mean, I don't know what I'm getting into and they don't know what they're getting no. into. It's all new. So at the end of the hour, the Al-Anoners come down and, you know, and then everybody circles up and holds hands and then um, we say the Lord's Prayer. Okay. And so my brother is next to me and we hold hands and it was very awkward. We've never held hands before, and I don't think we've ever held hands since. Um, and, you know, and everyone is holding hands and saying the Lord's Prayer, and we're Jewish, and we don't know the Lord's Prayer, and we're looking at each other like, what the fuck have we gotten into? And my brother afterwards whispers to me, he's like, if this is your solution, you're screwed. And, and, I, and I agreed. Yeah. 100% agreed. Sure you so, did. Huh? Um, but anyway, I did what I had to do in rehab and I, I listened to the people that were exiting rehab, what they were saying. And I started mimicking their, uh, you know, what they were saying. I started saying what they would say. And sure. so I started you know, rising to the top of the, the rehab class. Yep. Um, <laughs> Fake it till you make I, it. I do. What's that? Fake it till you make it. That's right. Yeah. You know, but I, I mean, I knew, you know, I could just you know, get through it and not, you know, attract very little attention. And I knew once I was out of rehab, I could check that box and people would think I'm okay. And I know I'm okay because I always overcame obstacles on my own, you know? And, uh, but I had to go to AA meetings and I found, um, some, some AA meetings. And, you know, after that first one, um, I, I said, this is not the solution I wanted. And I knew there was a meeting specifically for healthcare professionals a few days later. And that's where they're going to show me the real way to get sober and not have to rely on this God thing, you know, because we're science-based and we're yeah. smart and, you know, mm-hmm. and we're not, you know, we're not the normal drug addicts or alcoholics and we can overcome this. That's right. So I, I call them up and they tell me where the meeting is. And it was, it was Labor Day weekend. And I said, you know, my name's Brad and I, I was given your name from this rehab and I'm new to recovery. And I know you guys have this meeting Sunday, but it's a, it's a holiday weekend and I'm pretty sure you're not going to have it because it's a holiday weekend. He's like, well, did you drink on holiday weekend? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, we have meetings on holiday weekend. They'll see you Sunday. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and anyway, that guy, uh, you know, oh, anyway, go to the meeting and, you know, they're reading out of that stupid blue book and talking about flimsy reads and powerful hands of God. And I was like, this is not the solution I want, yeah. you know? And uh, there was one guy in the room who was around my age who uh, you know, kind of befriended me, and he was a nurse, um, and we ended up becoming pretty good friends. And the guy that I called that told me that there was a meeting, he ended up anointing himself my temporary sponsor. Yeah. And uh, he's been my temporary sponsor for a long time. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but anyway, I, I, you know, I got out of rehab and um, I went to this aftercare group for specifically for healthcare professionals. And part of the aftercare group is you, you have to go to two or three AA meetings a week and have a sponsor. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and we met twice a week and then two or three meetings a week and then meeting with a sponsor. I mean, that's six days a week. Yeah. I can't do this too much. Too what? much. Too much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So I, I back off on the AA meeting and um, and we're supposed to have the sign in sheet and I had to write three meetings, you know, and my name and I have a sponsor check that box. It goes around the circle. And for many weeks I do three meetings and then I start writing two meetings and I start writing one meeting Mm -hmm. and then, but I'm not going to any meetings really. Um, and, but then I, I, then I, I put zero down. And for a couple of weeks, I put zero down and no one says anything. I was like, cool, I'm cured. I'm training uh, for, for triathlons and I'm yeah. good. I remember seeing my sponsor, I'm not meeting with my sponsor either. I remember seeing him at a record store and um, he's like, hey, Brad, I haven't seen you in a while. Are you okay? I'm like, yep, I'm good. And he's like, you know, if you're truly an alcoholic or an addict, you'll go back to your drug of choice without some kind of, uh, some kind of constant work towards, uh, calling yeah. that urge. Sure. I'm like, nope, I'm training for triathlons. I'm good. You know? Yeah. And we both left that little chance meeting very, uh, coy with, uh, we both knew we oh, were yeah. right, you know? And, um, that same week, the, uh, the, the rehab, uh, the, the aftercare group, there was this one guy in aftercare who was, was a former University of Michigan football player. Okay. He always wore his football jersey. And he'd been part of this group for 10 years. So you're part of the group for more than two years, you means you've fucked up. You know, <laughs> and he kept, he kept fucking up. Okay. So he calls me out on my zero on going to meetings. I, I'm not going to meetings. Like, well, Brad, you know, I've been noticing the last couple of weeks you put zero meetings. What, what's going on with that? And I looked at him, I'm like, dick, you know, goddamn. Um, <laughs> I say, well, I'm training for a triathlon. I don't really feel I'm getting anything out of the meetings. I don't need them. And I'll, uh, I'm okay. Thank you very much. He's like, well, we have no way to know if you're using or not because you're not being monitored. And, you know, we all are. And, you know, I never reported to the state because remember I hung up on that guy. Yeah. So um, I didn't go into the aftercare program monitored okay. by the state. So, but I said, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Thank you for your concerns. I'm good. <laughs> I was using at the time, yeah. but, uh, that was okay. I was, it was managing. I wasn't suffering consequences. I thought I was okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I started making up things in rehab in this, this aftercare group. So people would stay off my back. I would show how I overcame an obstacle. I was anxious here and look how good I did. And, yeah. you know, people just kind of kept, kept away from me. Um, all along, I'm still binging on cocaine and alcohol. And um, finally, my, my bottom, um, October 21st, 1998, I, uh, my best friend's mom passed away. Uh of thyroid cancer and I went back to Chicago for the funeral and on the drive back um, I started thinking about calling my sponsor uh, I started calling my uh, my dealer (laughs) my dad calling my dealer and so I knew in the drive from Ann Arbor to this Indiana state line, there was very little cell coverage. And so my cell service was blank. But as soon as I crossed over that Indiana state line, it was about two hours of blank spots back then. It was late nineties. There really wasn't a robust cell coverage. Um, But I knew as soon as I got over that Indiana state line, I'd have coverage again. And I was obsessing over it for those two hours. I'm like, shit, 
get some? Should I call him? Should I not? And I'm like, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Well, I think I'm gonna. And you know, that two hours of hell, that contemplation. Um, and as soon as my phone uh, caught signal, I was on auto dial. I was calling him up, yeah. and I was saying to myself, "Don't answer the phone. Don't answer the phone. Hang up. I'm hang up." And I could not stop myself. Yeah. Don't drive to his house. Don't go up to the. You know, I could not stop myself. And I picked up my usual amount. I went to the wake. You know, I started using immediately. Yep. I went to my my friend and. I said, I'll see you tomorrow. My friends are like, hey, stay with us. Uh, I'm like, no, I'm going to stay with my family. So my family thought I was staying with my friends. My friends thought I was staying with my family. And I just disappeared like I always do. That's the funeral. And uh, I, I was about as low as I ever wanted to feel because this was my, my best friend's mom. And I wasn't there for him. And I, uh, you know, just crawled back to, to Michigan. And um, my wife knew. Everybody knew. What, yep. what happened because of my history, you know, mm-hmm. and my wife told me to, you know, go figure it out. And, uh, by the way, I made an appointment to meet with your counselor at rehab for the three of us on Monday. So, but I'm leaving. So hope you figure it out. Yep. Um, so I was like, damn it. And, uh, did not, I was about, I felt about as bad as I could ever feel. And I thought that I could go to AA um, I hadn't, I didn't really tried it and they were really nice to me and they read every meeting that I went to in Michigan. They read the, the beginning of chapter five. Mm-hmm. Rarely have we seen a person fail who's to followed our path. I'm like, well, you know, they're, they're claiming that they've got a great success rate. My rehab claims three to 6% success rate. Um, maybe I should just go back into AA and see if, uh, it'll work for me. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I go to a, they have a meeting in Michigan called Saturday night at St. Joe's okay. and it's a big speaker meeting. Sure. And I, I thought that I would go in late, listen to the speaker, leave, sit in the back, leave early so no one would talk to me and, and get out of there, you know? And, yeah. Um, so I, I was there in the parking lot and I backed into a spot and I could watch the, the front door. Um, and I was kind of waiting for everyone to go in and there were like 10 people outside, um, <laughs> after the meeting started and they weren't going in, they were smoking and having fun and, and I didn't want to have to face them, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I talked myself out of going to the meeting. I go back home and I start reading the big book and I'm, I'm so like fidgety and crispy. I can't sit still. I, uh, and I can't read, um, you know, focus enough to read anything that's important or that's going to take anything. So I just put it down. I start flipping through the channels. Again, back then cable had 28 channels, maybe I started flipping through them, you know, constantly flipping through them. And I stopped on a channel um, that I'd never watched before, American Movie Classics. <laughs> and they were introducing a movie. Uh, I never I never knew this, so they have narrators that introduced the movie. And this movie was called The Days of Wine and Roses. Okay. And it's a journey about, uh, you know, the depths of, of, of a couple suffering into alcoholism and death and relationships and recovery and starring Lee Remick, uh, Jack Lemon and uh, Jack Klugman. Yes. So I was like, ah, oh, this looks interesting. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I sit and watch The Days of Wine and Roses, and I'll be damned. It was about uh, alcoholism and about yeah. recovery and about AA and about tragedy and about, uh, 
you know, overcoming obstacles of, of addiction. And for the first time ever, I related to how someone drank and how someone felt and how someone thought um, and how substances were not my problem, but they were my solution. And I was yeah. addicted to my solution. That was my problem. Yeah. So, um, and I cried. I sat there and I cried. Yeah. And I, I, I likened right. that. I didn't know this at the time, but I likened that to my first spiritual experience. Was uh, um, do you so, do you think that that was about the time that it hit you that you realized that your actions were hurting other people? Um, I always knew my actions were hurting other people, um, but it was it was. I wasn't suffering consequences as a result of it. Like I didn't Got lose it. any relationships, but my wife did say, you go figure it out. I may, I may or may not come back, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And so I, I felt like, yeah, I, I, uh, I did. And I screwed over my best friend and my, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they all, I, I'm no longer Brett, that guy that was fun to be around and friends friendly. And you know, yeah. we don't like him anymore. No one wanted me around. Yeah. And so I went back to AA on Monday, and it, it just followed along that same line. It was the only place in the world where people said they were glad to see me. Yeah. It was the only place in the world where they told me to please keep coming back. Uh-huh. No one wanted me around. No one wanted me to come back. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then I started, you know, again listening to the stories, and people would come up to me after the meeting and you know, and really tell me how glad they are that I'm back. And they would ask me questions about, did you use like this? Did you do this? You know, yeah. I did this. Did you steal money from here? You know, everything that I was doing, they had just shared with me that they did in their stories too. Uh-huh. I wasn't terminally unique anymore. And I found hope. Um, and I, you know, I, I started working the steps with my sponsor and, um, you know, it was, uh, I never left, you know, um, I had, uh, spiritual experiences all over the place. But, uh, you know, I remember, um, reading the book with my sponsor and, uh, when it came to the third step, we would, uh, I, I, I was contempting before investigating about, uh, this God thing. I said, this is where I, I have a big trouble. I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe there's a God that's going to help me. Uh-huh. I don't believe this is going to be the solution, you know? And, and he's like, well, he, it turns out he's a physician as well. Yeah. And, uh, I didn't know this at the time when he asked me to be a sponsor. He asked me to sponsor me. Um, and, uh, he's like, well, do you believe in gravity? I'm like, well, yeah. He's like, but there's a, or I said, but there's a scientific formula that, that, that explains gravity. He's like, sure, there is. But if, you, let's say you didn't believe in gravity, if you got up on top of this building and said, I don't believe in gravity, does that mean you're not going to fall? I'm like, well, no. He's like, well, just because you don't believe doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That's so, correct. Um, Great point. I'm like, okay, I can, I can, I can buy into that. Sure. I can be open to that, which is really all that was necessary in that second step. Just exactly. a little bit of, uh, you know, willingness to believe that something is there. And he said, well, do you believe that I believe? I said, yeah, I believe that you believe. You're fucking crazy, you know. And <laughs> meaning, I'm the crazy one. <laughs> He's like, well, he said, what little I know of God. Um, I know that he wants you to be sober, he wants you to be happy, and he wants you to have a good life. Yeah. Okay? Um, and I was like, okay, I could buy into that. And he wants you to do step four. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that was my formal third step right there. Yeah. And he got me the fourth step 
instructions yeah. and did the inventory and um, you know and when I shared it with him in my fifth step I felt this huge weight lift off me and I felt in you know after the fifth step in six or seven um, right before that you have that one hour of meditation that yeah. the book talks about and you know to see how you know your foundation is see how um, is, is there anything that you've la- you're lacking in the mm-hmm. network up till now did we miss and, anything um, yeah. you know in that one hour meditation I had just a technicolor flashbacks of, of people in my life that cared about me that still care about me despite what I've done in my mind you know and I felt the presence of a higher power working in my life for the first time and um, it was so powerful. I, I, I remember crying. And, um, and I come out of that, you know, then it says take the book off the shelf. So I did that. And I read the six, six and seven step and did the seven step prayer. And I felt 100% connected and 100% a, a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And awesome. I felt like I'm going to be okay yeah. with the work that I'm doing. I'm going to be okay. So my wife and I, um, you know, hadn't really had uh, much of a, a relationship at that point, you know, because I was, you know, I was, I was a drug addict and I wasn't too happy with me. But that was, I remember the first time we had uh, some intimacy, let's put it like that. Yeah. And um, and I know for a fact that my oldest daughter was born that, at that moment, you know, wow. she was conceived right then and there. Sure. And because just nine months to the day she, she was born. Wow. Um, and uh, it was it was a magical thing, and so you know, moving on with the steps, um, I did uh, made some amends, and um, those were uh, really powerful. You know, the first you know eight steps are basically an inside job, yeah. you know, and, and how our brain works. And now we've we're, we're very clear on who we are and, and and what we stand for, what we need to do to clean our side of the streets. Yeah. So we you know they, they and, and my sponsor would tell me that you know the the eighth step is 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 with me with the sponsor you know yeah. we do this together the ninth step is between you and god mm-hmm. you will you know god will put the people in your life yes yes you have to go actively find people to make your amends too but Certainly. you know god will put amends in your in front of you that have to happen and, mm-hmm. and that's been my case and i got to see the damage i've done to uh people places institutions etc um you know through the reactions of the amends that i made and i never want to be like that again yeah. You know, and, and, you know, I've worked the steps uh, four times now. I'm in a fifth round of steps now over the 21 years I've been sober. And each time, you know, a lot of the same things keep popping up. But, gosh, I hate making amends because the first amends, uh, <laughs> round of amends was all about, you know, I was drinking, I was a, a screw-up. Now I can't say that. I was just an asshole. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and and I hate being that person. So it makes yeah. me kind of, you know, tighten my path and, and, and the, the path i walk that i can't stray too far because i don't want to make those amends i don't want to be that kind of person anymore and you know and uh, and much fewer and far between (laughs) but i still you know have had my moments um i have four kids um age 20 17 13 and 10 they've never seen me drunk or high um, but i can't i can say they've they've seen me be an asshole more than i care to share yeah that's all right uh, so i've got to make amends (laughs) to them on the way right sure um as a, uh, a 
doctor, there's a, a program called International Doctors and Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, we meet every year at a different city in North America um, the first weekend in August, and it's a big family program. It's like you know, it's like an AA convention for for healthcare professionals, and okay. you know, and I, I jokingly talk about that this is you know a thousand fucked up doctors from around the world come yeah. together and talk <laughs> about recovery, and it's the, the richest recovery I've ever heard. Yeah. Even, you know, and I've been to a lot of meetings and a lot of conferences and it's, it's really cool. So I've gotten a lot of, of, of insight and, you know, I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a, in a different level, but there's certain things that I can't share at a regular meeting. Um, exactly. Well, yeah, you know, exactly. You know, the stuff that I do. Well, and, and, and that's, that's what's, granted, that's what's neat about AA is it doesn't matter where you come from. There's going to be more of you there, whether you're a young right. person or you're a professional or you you were homeless. Doesn't really matter where you came from. There's other people there just like you. Exactly, and this is a uh, you know groups that that you know we we have a very similar mindset. Same, you know, we we have different challenges than than regular people with sure. our jobs and stuff like that. And it's it's the way we can recover. But then you know that is one part of my recovery. Most of my recovery is in regular AA working you know, strap, steps, um, sure. you know, with, with sponsor and sponsees and, you know, and I, I love, I love AA. Absolutely love it. That's fantastic. Um, so professionally, I always like to share this because, you know, anything goes, I was, I was ready to quit dentistry. I didn't know what I wanted. My, my instinct is always when, when I'm being challenged, I want to cut and run and start over, sure. you know, and, and AA, the steps have taught me to not do that, sit and face what I need to face. And I was That's ready it. to quit dentistry as a whole and start something else. Um, but over, over the years, um, I, I started, you know, and you know, you go to AA meetings, you see people with teeth problems and, you know, oh, and yeah. I saw lots of them. And, um, cause it's part of our, of our addiction. We don't take care of ourselves. That's and right. So there was a, there's one lady at, at a meeting I would go to in Denver that uh, was part of, of a treatment center in, in downtown Denver that served homeless okay. uh, demographic. Sure. And um, you know, I was asking her about the program and it sounded like a, like an amazing program. Um, and so I, I, I asked her who the, the, the head of the program is and I, I, made, I made an appointment to meet with him and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a dentist and I, I have a practice here and I'd like to help your your residents by, yeah. by doing dentistry for them and getting them, you know, back to smiling again and getting them out of pain and stuff. Um, so we developed this little program where if they were following the rules and doing well and they stayed in the program, they would get their teeth and they would just pay a minimal amount for basically sure. my overhead yeah. and I would fix their smiles. And it was a wonderful thing for me oh, to awesome. watch you know, these people get their, their smiles back because yeah. their smile is so important. You know, we're so self-conscious coming in or in early recovery anyway. Um, and there's so much shame that we have. And then, you know, without a smile, it just exacerbates it. So I was able to, you know, really help a lot of people um, get their smiles back. Um, some other treatment centers heard, got wind of what I was doing and started to, uh, you know, call me up and ask me if I could do it for their treatment center too. And I was like, oh, I can't. I wish I could, but I can't yeah. because I need to, you know, have my business as well. Mm -hmm. Go give what I can give. And but I, I called the dental association and asked them if they knew of anybody that was doing this kind of work that uh, would help out. Like, no, but it sounds like a really great thing you're doing. So let's write a little article about you and we'll put it in our little journal. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So they did that, and it was. Uh, was was very well received and they uh ended up uh, a couple
couple of dentists came out of the woodwork and helped these other treatment centers, and um, and and it was it was it was really awesome. And then they put me in a in a, in a committee to help um, community access um, dental care. Okay. You know, they that I was doing this on my own. They wanted to you know help what I was doing and expand it. And and they ended up starting a, a foundation that was treat victims of domestic violence. They wanted, and they mimicked my program um, um, to the T, except they didn't want to do it on drug addicts because we don't want drug addicts in our practice. Yeah. You know, is basically <laughs> the, the feeling I got. Um, but basically, they, they, they said, let's do victims of domestic violence. And the irony is, those are usually people suffering some kind of substance abuse problem. Yeah. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's from the abuser or the abusee. And and so my demographic yeah, was getting the territory taken care sure. of. Yeah. Exactly. So it was a great thing. And then we had about 200 dentists in this program who were providing care, and it was wonderful. Uh, and, uh, you know, I kept doing what I was doing. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Methamphetamine started to hit the, um, the mainstream in the mid 2000s, and, um, and it became a, a, a national media story where uh, you know, the jails, especially in the Southeast, Tennessee, Kentucky, um, everyone in jail, were they were in jail because of uh, meth problems, you know, whether they uh-huh. were, you know, get busted with labs or stealing to make their meth or, you know, prostitution, all sorts of things. They were in jail because of meth. And they had no teeth and or all sorts of teeth problems. And so their, the dental budgets for these jails were being used up in the first quarter of the year. Oh, yeah. And there was no more dental treatment. It became a, a national story and it trickled west. And um, they called, uh, the media ended up, you know, calling the dental association and asked if anyone, if they knew of anyone who knew about this mess mouth thing. And so, of course, they called me and I, they asked if I knew anything about it. They laughed. They said, yeah, I have been treating it for years. And, well, would you like to go on TV and talk about it? I'm like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was a, you know, I have a private practice and I have, you know, try and do, you know, um, a lot of uh, aesthetic and reconstructive things. And, you know, it's like very boutique type practice. Sure. And uh, I didn't want to be known as mess mouth guy. I want, yeah. you know, it was, it was not good for business. Um, but after a little bit of contemplation and, and talking it over with some trusted friends and my sponsor, we decided it was probably a good idea to do this we can put a, a positive face on, on recovery yeah. and we can put a positive spin on dentistry because those two things are never portrayed that way in the, no, in the media <laughs> um, so I, I talked to the reporter before the, the interview and I said I would only do this if you focus on my patients it's not on me yeah. and she agreed and so I called two of my patients and um and asked them if they would like to share their story on on TV, on a TV uh, news interview, and they're like, they couldn't wait to talk about it, sure. you know? And, um, and it, it became a really beautiful story. Um, and I have to say, uh, one of the guys um, relapsed about five years ago, and he never made it back. Oh, man. And he, he passed away uh-huh. two weeks, two, two, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, He's a good friend over the years, and this is, you know, goes almost 15 years I've known him, and uh, he helped a lot of people when he was in the in the rooms, and but he, he got out and he never could make it back. It's yeah. really, you know, so much easier to stay here than it is to come back. So it, much easier. It, it is. I had my fair share of coming back, um, and it's yeah. a lot harder 
uh, to come back a second, third time. In fact, I'm yeah, I'm but I'm only here for, for the grace of God. So yeah, me too. Well, but um, I really but anyway, the, the news story went. I'm sorry, the news story went really well, and then uh, four other news stations in Colorado wanted to do a similar story, and so we did four different, four more different versions of that. One of the the news stories went viral on uh, headline news went national, okay, and then the American Dental Association picked up on that, and uh, wow. And so it was, you know, my, my every, you know, 19 minutes after the hour, it was my, my, my news story on headline <laughs> news every hour over the weekend. And it was like, this is crazy. Yeah. So the ADA ended up calling me and asked me if I would like to come to Washington, D.C. to testify before Congress on a bill that they were trying to push through uh, that would um, access, uh, fund access to more treatment for meth, meth addicts, dental yeah. treatment for meth addicts. And I could not believe that I was being asked to do this. And the profession that I was ready to quit, now they're asking me to come. And I went down to Washington, D.C., and I, I got to tell, uh, you know, an open forum uh, of Congress yeah. about uh, addiction and recovery and, um, wow. and how dentistry can help sure. these, uh, you know, this number uh, a blessing. Um, you know, and we didn't get the bill passed because, uh, you know, nothing really ever happens in Washington. Yeah. Um, but I came back to Colorado and I was thrust into the leadership track in the state of Colorado and I'm, I was president of the Colorado Dental Association wow. in 2014 to 2015 where I was the voice of dentistry and advocating for, uh, you know, for, for best practices in the communities we serve in our state and uh, it was, uh, was part of the team that uh, created um, a dental benefit in the Medicaid space. So before there was no Medicaid uh, uh, money funds for dentists. And I thank, for, I thank for, you for, for that program. because I, I got my yeah. teeth back because of Medicaid. Oh, that's, so, that's great. Thank 300,000 people now have had access to it and uh, I was really proud of that. Um, and uh, I love hearing that, that it's being used and you know I see the numbers and it's it's, it's just awesome that is. Um, and now I'm on the, uh, the the board of directors of the American Dental Association and so I'm, I'm the voice of uh, of one of six 17 uh, uh, trustees that uh, try and set policies um, for for the face of the of dentists you know yeah. we, re- we represent 168,000 dentists and uh, for best practices and you know, and I used to smoke crack for a living. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> it just, uh, it just it, blows me away that, that anything can happen, anything's possible in recovery, you know? That, that's absolutely it. And, you know, you you took an idea, opened your mouth, and look what it be, becomes. You know, I don't believe that, I don't believe it, you need a bunch of people to make a difference. I think one person can make a difference. Now, it takes a tribe for us to do it all. But one person can get it started and make a difference. So, um, and that's, yeah. yeah. So, you know, thank you. I, I didn't know we had a celebrity on today, but, you know. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I really appreciate uh, you being on today and taking your time uh, with us and telling your story. Um, and a lot of interesting things in there. I think, you know, it's like every story that I hear, there's one little part that, that usually happens. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's little, but it's usually the same. It, it, it's that feeling when we change our mind and we suddenly become open-minded or willing to try 
something else rather than the road that we're on. And that one little thought can make an entire difference. Um, it can change yeah. your entire life. So, yeah, I, I call that the mythical step zero. Yeah. You know, it's like the, is the, the state of my existence in my own personal hell um, acceptable to me? Or is it, am I sick of being this way? And the people in AA, they've got a solution. Is, am I bad enough or I need that solution? Yes. You know, and um, that, 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 you know, the, the big book says, you know, we, we stood at the turning point. And, and I, I have a, visualized, a visualization of me being at a crossroads, yeah. you know, looking left, looking right. I'm at this turning point. And, and I, am, am I going towards a drink or am I going towards God? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we asked for his protection and care with complete abandon. And so I was dipping my toes in for that, those 14 months after yeah. rehab before I finally got sober and I considered myself a tourist in AA. Yeah. And when I finally decided that the state of my existence was so bad, I can't do this anymore. And I had no more angles on what I thought was best for me in my recovery. Um, and, and you guys seem to be happy and you seem to be living a good life and you seem to be sober. And those are yeah. two things I couldn't figure out on my own. So it was very attractive to me. Yep. And so that's why I love the shares. You know, I love listening to podcasts like this. And I'm honored that I get to share my story and hopefully oh, someone can resonate with some part of it. But I love hearing stories because there's always something in there that hooks me in and wants me to come back. And, you know, in the back of the big book, there's those 50 or so stories that are there to help hook people in to help identify that, hey, you're not terminally unique. Yeah, you're you not know, alone. We've all been there. Yeah. And we can help. That is it. We're, so, we are unique, but we are not terminally unique. That is for sure. And, yeah. you know, we do not need to be alone anymore. And that's what that's what this podcast is all about is, you know, maybe there's one little thing that we say. And if it helps one person make that decision, then great. Then we've done our job. You know, so. Yeah. So everybody, I would like to thank everybody for uh, listening in today. If you'd like to share your story, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, in the meantime, I appreciate everybody being on. Again, let's keep in mind, honesty, open-minded, and willingness. This is the how of the program. So if you're asking how, there's your answer. I want everybody to have a great day. Thank you for listening. I love you all, and have a day.